You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the PharmD Money Podcast, where certified financial planner Derek Delaney brings financial education and observation to help pharmacists navigate their most important financial questions. Welcome in PharmD Nation to episode number 34 of the PharmD Money Podcast. I am your host, Derek Delaney. Thank you all for joining me today. For investors in 2021, it doesn't take a lot of effort to find unsolicited investment advice and quote unquote investment education. From places like CNBC to different social media platforms, or from that coworker who is the self proclaimed investment expert, you get more investment tips than you've probably bargained for. And for a lot of us, that can be that can become overwhelming. I also think that the media has done a good job of downplaying the actual real art and skill it takes to successfully manage investment portfolios. Everybody considers themselves to be an expert nowadays, but real active investment management is hard. And if you're proactively trying to get better at it, learning from people who actually do it for a living is where you should be focusing your attention. And that is why I'm excited to introduce my guest on today's podcast, Ross Klein. Ross is a CFA and is the founder, managing member, and chief investment officer of ChangeBridge Capital LLC out of Boston. Ross, welcome to the PharmD Money Podcast. Thank you for having me, Derek. It is a pleasure. Can you uh, just start by giving the audience a little background on yourself and the type of work you do? Sure. Uh, So uh, as you mentioned, I am the founder and chief investment officer at ChangeBridge Capital. We manage two active exchange-traded funds. Uh, That is products that are listed on the New York Stock Exchange that manage a portfolio of securities that are not based on another index. So we choose 30 to 40 securities and invest in them in a fund that is available to anyone. Uh, Our two funds are CBLS, which is a long, short equity fund, and CBSE, which is a sustainable equity fund. So for listeners out there right now, how would they go about getting their hands on funds like that? Are these funds that people would be able to find within their their normal brokerage accounts or are they special to specific people in our investment economy? No, absolutely. We set out to create ChangeBridge with the idea that these active products should be available to everyone. And that was a big reason why we chose this ETF structure. And so our funds are available on your TD Ameritrade, Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, Robinhood, Interactive Brokers, you name it, we should be there. And we are listed on the New York Stock Exchange. So that enables us to be available on a number of different platforms for anyone to invest in. Without any restrictions, there's no limit on the amount you can buy, $20, $2,000. It, it doesn't matter to us. We're um, agnostic to that. We don't lock up anyone's capital. Uh, and because we are fully transparent, you can see everything that we own every single day on our website, changebridgefunds.com. And then just for anybody that wants to do a little more research, could you give those two ticker symbols again? Sure. It's CBLS, Change Bridge Capital, long short and CBSE, Change Bridge Capital Sustainable Equity. 
And the website, changebridgefunds.com, lists hopefully everything you need to know about the funds. Well, again, Ross, I think it's pretty obvious that you have probably forgotten more about investment management than me or most of our listeners will probably know in their lifetime. So thank you again for joining us on this podcast. And like you already know, this podcast is meant to provide financial education to all pharmacists out there in America and across the globe. And I know one of the most common pieces of advice, and for good reason, that pharmacists get when it comes to investment management is the importance of diversification. They're always told you have to be diversified. You can't have all your eggs in one basket. But for a lot of them, they've never been really educated on why diversification is so important. Is that something you could touch on? Absolutely. And that's a great question for people to think about as they manage their own money. Diversification matters because not all assets move in coordination with each other. And so when there are periods of time, uh, especially uh, turbulent periods of time in the market, having assets that are not correlated with each other helps to protect someone during that downside. And so it is really a tool to mitigate risk, having the sort of diversification in your portfolio. Interestingly, as we look to our passive products that we believe help us diversify, S&P 500 and NASDAQ, the level of concentration in those indexes is actually quite high today. And so six companies, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Google, biggest six companies that we know and trust, they make up a quarter of that S&P 500 index today. And so for investors who are looking to broadly diversify and spread out some of their risk, it's important to consider smaller capitalization companies. And so we think that given the correlation between those six companies, the risk is actually a little bit bigger than it appears. And so Facebook, Apple, Amazon, et cetera, they tend to move together. When one goes up, the others tend to go up and vice versa. When one goes down, the others tend to also go down. And so finding other companies or even other asset classes that are less correlated to those six companies is really important in today's environment. Most the legacy sort of thought processes around managing a portfolio are to have 60% in equities and 40% in bonds. And, and that has made a lot of sense for many, many years. We are now in a, an environment where the bond side of that portfolio may not offer the return that it has historically offered. The correlation is still low. The diversification benefits are still there. But the forward potential return, given that interest rates are so low today, and I'll take a step back and explain that in, a, in just a moment, that forward return appears lower than it has been for many years. The explanation for that is, as interest rates go up, the price of a bond goes down. As interest rates go down, the price of a bond goes up, broadly speaking. And so because interest rates have gone down so much, the price of bonds has already appreciated or gone up meaningfully. The next step is unknown, certainly, but it seems less likely that interest rates go below zero than that interest rates are at least stable or potentially higher, which 
would be a headwind for bond investors. Oh, totally. And I, I like that you touched on the, the 60-40 portfolio. Uh, that is a common theme that investors who are not experts in the industry just kind of follow because it's what they've been told before. And I also agree with the S&P 500 that everybody thinks that if you invest in the S&P 500, you're diversified. And really, they don't understand that some of these mega corporations are taking up a huge percentage of the S&P 500. And that really just being in the S&P 500 is not bringing you the type of diversification you think you would have getting access to 500 big companies. Right. You know, it, it's at ChangeBridge, we, we did an analysis of our own portfolios a few months ago. And we, we run fairly high concentration, high conviction funds where we own 30 to 40 uh, securities at one time. And our top six were actually less concentrated than the top six companies in the S&P 500 when we ran this analysis. Wow. <laughs> and that's, that's with a 35 position portfolio rather than a 500 position index. I mean, that's just crazy to think about, but that is the reality that we live in right now when it comes to the S&P 500. Can I ask you quick, Ross, when it comes to diversification, is there such a thing as being too diversified? I have come across clients of mine and different people who hold you're talking 15, 20, 30 different ETFs and mutual funds inside investment accounts. And they think they need that many because that's how you properly diversify. Is that right? Or are they kind of going overboard there? I would skew towards saying they're going overboard a little bit. Um, you know, the interesting, it's not an easy analysis to run, but if you really wanted to dig in a little bit, you can look up what those ETFs own and compare them to each other. And I think it's highly likely that there's a lot of overlap between those funds. And so the diversification that you think you're getting, you, you may not actually be getting it. And so you, you probably own Apple in most of your ETFs. You probably own Facebook or Amazon or Google in most of your ETFs. And so the diversification benefit really comes from finding funds that have high active share. And active share, as we define it, would be the difference or the delta between what one fund owns and what's held in the S&P 500. And so that would be a measure that you can use to say, am I really getting something different that diversifies my portfolio? Is that a statistic a normal person can find online themselves, like in a Morningstar report, or is that something specific to investment professionals? Morningstar can report it. You don't always see it, but your financial advisor should have access to tools like that. And at ChangeBridge, we, we post it in our letters uh, pretty often. Uh, it's something we're proud of because we have very little overlap with the S&P 500. And that's not to say that we'll do better that way or worse that way. But it's to say that that's our goal is, is, is to offer a product that is broadly differentiated from the available index funds out there today. Switching gears a little bit, I wanted to touch on another popular topic in the investment world that a lot of investors are trying to determine if it's something they want to take advantage of. And that is ESG investing. ESG for people listening who don't know, I think stands for Envi Environmental, Social and Governance. In your opinion, Ross, what are ways investors should be approaching the space? It, it is a hot button topic, Derek. Yes. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of different 
versions of, of ESG investing. The most common ones today are called, or at least in, in our opinion, most common you'll find are exclusionary. And so these are funds that basically will say, I'd like to own the S&P 500 except for energy companies, or I'd like to own the S&P 500 except for alcohol companies. And so they're basically making a determination that one specific group of, of companies or stocks does not fit their criteria. The other sort of common form of ESG investing is relying on uh, data providers. And so these are firms that rank companies based on their ESG disclosures. Those rankings tend to skew very much towards large companies. The large companies are the ones that can afford to put out reports that extensively detail their environmental, social, and governance efforts. And so what you're left with are, are two types of ESG funds, largely. There, there are certainly exceptions to this, but largely that are either exclusionary or passive, uh, that are not necessarily making a determination as to whether or not this company does pass that sort of ESG test. An interesting debate that has been going on for many years is, does having an eye towards ESG investing come at the detriment of returns? And we don't believe so. We believe that with active management, there is an opportunity to find companies that their efforts to improve diversity, to improve their relationship with customers and suppliers and the environment may actually improve their bottom line performance. There have been studies that have shown that the companies that score better from an ESG perspective tend to have higher returns on invested capital. That is to say, for every dollar they put into the company, they're earning a little bit more than their peers. They also have tended to have lower costs of capital. That is, their ability to access the debt markets and equity markets has come at a lower price. And so these are qualities that do help financial performance. Where we draw the line is by saying, we'd like to find companies that are making progress. We'd like to find companies where their efforts are mutually beneficial with their financial performance. And we don't exclude any industry or sector. If there's an energy company that is making meaningful strides in, in their relationship with suppliers and the, the environment and, 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 and how they uh, uh, represent their company in terms of governance, that's a good thing. We don't want to necessarily exclude merely because it is listed as an energy company. Yep. Um, the, the key advice I would give is when you're investing in a fund that says it is an ESG fund, whether it's active or passive, take a look at the holdings. And, and if it doesn't make sense to you, see if you can reach out to the fund company. We publish all of our holdings every day and we actually get questions from folks hey, why do you own XYZ company? And we love that because it's an opportunity for us to hear what our potential investors and clients are thinking uh, and to offer them feedback and an explanation for why they're owning a company that they might not understand. And so my guidance would be to, 
talk to your financial advisor, and if possible, reach out to the to the fund company. They have employees whose jobs are to respond to you. That's that's a great point. And I know in the the advisor community, specifically in the uh, fee only space where advisors are fiduciaries, I have heard a lot of talk of them becoming concerned with offering ESG investing because are they breaching their fiduciary duty offering a type of investment that over the long term they think could underperform severely compared to counterparts out there that are not ESG. So it's good to hear from you that just because you're investing in ESG doesn't mean you're necessarily going to experience long-term missed opportunities from a rate of return standpoint compared to alternatives out there. I sure hope not. I'm invested in my own products and and my my partner and co-portfolio manager Vince LaRusso is as well. So it our skin is in the game, you know, so we we're there with our shareholders and with our clients. So we think that there's an opportunity to find both profits and progress mutually. And, uh, you know, it's interesting you brought up that sort of concept of, you know, talking to your financial advisor and figuring out what's, what's in the, the portfolio. I won't, I won't name the fund, but there is a very popular passive small cap um, ESG fund out there. And during the late part of the spring, when a lot of meme stocks were rallying, AMC and GameStop and BlackBerry, there, there was a point in time when this ESG fund owned AMC as its top holding and GameStop as its number 10 holding. And these aren't companies that have publicly stated a, a meaningful effort to improve you know, from an ESG perspective. So it was a bit perplexing for us to see that, but it's important that investors look under the hood. Yep. And Take it upon yourself, do a little more research. Don't just rely on the name of the fund and expect you're going to get what you think you're going to get. Exactly. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. So in a space like ESG, do your due diligence, make sure that you're going to own what you actually think you're going to own. And don't be afraid of long-term underperforming because that might not actually be the case. The last question I have, Ross, for you, because we're coming up on time here is, for a lot of regular investors like myself and my clients and other pharmacists throughout the country, we are considered average regular investors. But we're tasked a lot of the time with evaluating active investment managers. So in your opinion, what is one or two ways regular investors can evaluate active investment managers and not just rely on uh, historical performance? Sure. So as we're looking into active managers, that active share metric that we talked about earlier, I think is very important. Not all active managers will outperform. Many will, many won't. But a large reason why many people use active managers as a portion of their portfolio is that diversification. And so I would personally be looking for funds that have a low overlap with the S&P 500, with the NASDAQ, with the Dow. And the theory behind that is you can get access to the broad indexes for a very low cost. The fees to own an SPY or a QQQ are very, very low. On the other side of your portfolio, where you're looking to broadly differentiate from SPY and QQQ, you'd like to find, in, in, in my opinion, funds and fund managers that do not look like SPY and QQQ. And so that would be a metric that I would spend a lot of time focusing on. And it shouldn't take long. You can, for all ETFs, you, for fully transparent ETFs, you can see holdings as of the prior day. For mutual funds, it's as of the prior quarter. 
So there is a lag. And again, one of the benefits of the ETF structure. But you can usually see pretty quickly, look at the top 10 holdings. Is Apple in there? Is Facebook? Is Amazon? Netflix? Google? Nothing wrong with these companies, but it doesn't help you from a broad diversification perspective if you own those companies in your SPY, in your S&P 500, and in your active fund. That is great insight for our audience. So if you're tasked with trying to evaluate active investment managers, make sure to follow that advice and look into some of those tips. Quickly, it's, I can't believe we're already up on time here, Ross. I feel like we could listen to you talk for hours and hours when it comes to this stuff. So at some point, we'll have to have you back on the podcast and answer other questions. I know we're going to get from FarmD Nation after they listen to this. But before we go, can you give listeners any ways they can learn more about you or your company and different ways they can follow you, whether on social media or other outlets? Yeah, absolutely. Again, ChangeBridge Capital, our website, changebridgefunds.com. You can find us on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at, change, at ChangeBridgeCap. I'm at R Klein, R-K-L-E-I-N-C-F-A, not super original. <laughs> and feel free to reach out with an email, info at changebridgecapital.com or email me directly, ross at changebridgecapital.com. I'm, I'm always happy to connect with, with folks who are eager to learn more about the business and what we're working on. That is fantastic. Ross Klein, thank you for joining us today in the Farm D Money podcast. Thank you, Derek. It's been a pleasure. If you're looking for more information about the podcast, myself or FarmDFP, feel free to visit the firm's website at farmdfp.com. Also, feel free to check out and subscribe to the YouTube channel, FarmD Financial Planning, for more great insight. Email podcast at farmdfp with questions, topics, or ideas you'd like to hear more about. Finally, until next time, FarmD Nation, be well. FarmD Money Podcast is not intended to be tax, legal, or investment advice. All opinions expressed on the show are for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for tax, legal, or investment advice.